Welcome to Season 3 of Aim Higher. I'm your host, Skip Pritchard, and we are excited to kick off Season 3. If you have not heard Season 1 and 2, well, I'm assuming that you're going to stop right now and go back and listen to all of them because they are fabulous. But in Season 3, we're going to take you to new places. We're going to talk about stress and pandemics, but we're also going to talk about generations and leadership and how you can build your confidence and how you can literally change yourself so that you can change the world. This is where it starts, and this is what we want you to do aim higher, and achieve the greatest success that you thought possible. On this edition of Aim Higher, we have somebody who is extraordinary, Jason Dorsey. He's a generational expert. He's been featured on a lot of TV shows like 60 Minutes, The Early Show, and all over the place, some radio interviews online. He's also a friend. He's a fellow member of the prestigious Speakers Roundtable. Wow, if you have not heard Jason speak, you need to go because he is amazing. I think he could talk about literally anything and it would be electric. He has energy, intellect, positivity in equal measure. You are going to enjoy this show. His book is called Zeconomy. It's fabulous how Gen Z will change the future of business and what to do about it. It is written by Jason and co-authored with fellow researcher, his wife, Dr. Denise Villa. They also run a company called the Center for Generational Kinetics, I think. Is that the name of it? You got it. It was perfect. Okay, good. (laughs) Welcome to Aim Higher. Thank you so much, Skip. I'm thrilled to be here. You know, I'm a huge fan of your work and your thinking and how you help people all around the world. And it's a, a tremendous honor to be on your show. So thank you so much for inviting me. Well, you are a generational expert, and I think everybody in our audience, no matter where they are, is going to find this fascinating. But before we jump into generations, I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit more about your firm and particularly the extensive research that you put into this book, which was years in the making. Yeah, thank you. So the firm we run is called the Center for Generational Kinetics, and our mission and our passion is to separate generational myth from truth through research. And so we lead quantitative and qualitative research all around the world. Right now, we have studies going in the UK, Germany, China, all across the US. Uh, And at any given time, we'll have somewhere between three and five studies in the field. So we've led now more than 65 generational studies for many of the most famous, biggest brands in the world, along with private equity, governmental groups, and others who really want to understand the why behind the mindset and actions that different generations take. And I think the important thing to distinguish here, because I know your listeners are, are very savvy in this area, most of the data that people talk about in the world is what we call tracking data. And so tracking data measures something that has happened. Sales went up, sales went down, employee engagement went up, employee engagement went down, foot traffic, usage, whatever it is. All very, very important metrics, and we absolutely need that data. However, that data, that tracking data, does not tell us why that action was taken. It just tells us what action was taken. So at our research firm, CGK, we're focused on uncovering the why, because if we can add the why to the what, then we can change the future. If we know not just why somebody, or not just what car somebody bought and how much they paid and and which way they bought it and all this kind of jazz, but actually why they picked that location or why they picked that model or why they picked that type of financing, then we can change their entire future pathway and really be able to connect and engage with them And as leaders, we find this incredibly important right now because we've got to absolutely make the most of all the resources, all our team members, everybody we have during this very challenging time. And so bringing that sort of why forward, those mindset pieces, we find extremely valuable and we love it. We've had over 700 clients uh, at CGK and 
get to work all around the world. And I used to fly on airplanes every day, but not right now. <laughs> Remember the days. Now it's all virtual, but you're flying. It's just from a, a closer location to your uh, home <laughs> office, I suppose. So your new book is extraordinary. I found it so interesting because not only was it, I, I love just studies of generations and how they're different, et cetera. Some of the generalities, some of the things that are different, but also, you know, the specifics you give on cuspers and what it means if you're right on the edge of one, et cetera. But all throughout the book, it was, here's how to use this information. It was really fascinating. So I don't want to talk about that yet. You're like, wait, what? I want to first give our listeners who may not know anything about generations. Could you just walk through and top of mind, whatever comes to your, whatever comes to your head about the different generations and some things that we should note about them? Before we yeah, get to just pure Generation Z. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's a great place to start because there's so many names thrown around that people are like, wait, what are we talking about here? When we think about generations, I think the first thing to know is that we view generations as clues and not a box. And I think that's very important. We're not trying to put people in boxes, but we're trying to better understand their mindset, their priorities, values, uh, what they experience coming of age and so forth. So knowing that they're clues and not a box, that's our sort of our core mantra at CGK. Then we can come up with birth years that help to give us a sense of where generations start and stop. And so if you put them in chronological order, the oldest generation that we study are the baby boomers. Uh, they were born roughly 1946 to 1964. I always say roughly or approximately on the birth years because the birth years will change around the world. It's one of the things that we talk about a lot in the book. It's so rarely talked about and it's incredibly important. Geography has a huge impact on generations and their characteristics and, and what's important to them and so forth. So for the baby boomers, roughly 1946 to 1964, we'll go start our oldest to youngest. We also, though, at CGK believe that baby boomers are really two generations, not one. Older boomers and younger boomers had very different formative events. But if we start breaking them into two generations, people sort of freak out and go, wait, wait, I've heard this for 50 years. And then we explain and they're like, oh, you totally have it right. <laughs> so boomers are about 46 to 64 in terms of birth years. Then you get to Generation X, who's born about 1965 to about 1976. A really important generation, not talked about enough, very skeptical, sort of your, your latchkey kids. They were there when all kinds of big changes happened, uh, women uh, entering the workforce, divorce rate through the roof, we go on and on. And then they really, you know, were more 80s kids in terms of how many of them came of age. Then you end up with millennials. Millennials are born somewhere between 1977 on the very earliest, 1981, that's sort of the front end of them, up to 1995. One of our most famous discoveries is that we discovered that 9-11 was a generation-defining moment for millennials. However, and this is the key thing, we discovered that if you're born after 1996, you do not remember 9-11. This is why we're in the media all the time and all these news interviews. And that's a big deal because in the research world, people said that millennials went to 2000. And because we're behavioral researchers, we proved that to be wrong because you have to be able to remember where you are, feel fear of the unknown, fear of what's going to happen next, truly not know what is going to happen tomorrow in order to have that generation-defining moment. And so knowing that, you have to be at least a certain age or you don't have that experience. That's why you have to back up in the birth years. And then you it end sounds up like today, Jason, doesn't it? It is. And if you've been following our work, which I know you do, and you comment yes. so, so gracefully, uh, this is the, the moment we're in for Gen Z, which is COVID-19. And as I talk about in the book and as I talk about a lot in my speaking, so Gen Z starts right around 1996-ish, and then we think goes to approximately 2015. Now, we're not exactly sure where they end yet because they're too young to study in the way that we do. And so what we're seeing when it comes to Gen Z is that the older members of Gen Z right now, they're having a very different experience in this sort of generation defining moment 
than the younger members of Gen Z. And I think that's really important because when we look at generation defining moments, you have to be in the, the sort of the right age, right life stage in order for it to hit you in a very specific way. So to, to summarize all that, baby boomers were born about 1946 to 1964. Gen X was born about 1965 to 1976. Millennials are born somewhere 1977-ish to 1995, hard stop because there was a generation defining moment. And then 1996 to about 2015 is Generation Z. Uh, and people sometimes say, well, why aren't they all the exact same length? I heard generations were 20 years. And that's because people made that up. That wasn't true. But it may, you know, people are like, oh, every two decades, there's a new generation. No, that, as researchers, like, that's totally made up. <laughs> mm-hmm. You need a group of people born about the same time, raised in about the same place to start to behave differently than the group before or after. And so we're not so much worried about making things even as we are getting what we call predictability by scenario. And that helps us to see where generations start and stop. And then as you made a great point earlier about cuspers, cuspers are those born on the edges of the generations. And particularly when there's not an event like Gen X to millennials, you have a lot of these people that sort of uh, are a bridge, if you will, from one generation to another. It actually makes them empathetic and it's a great strength. It makes them great leaders because they can identify with both generations. Now, I am a cusper between uh, millennials and Gen X. And the funny part is cuspers between millennials and Gen X, nobody wants to be a millennial. They always say, no, no, Jason, I have a Gen X. And then they'll take our assessment like, oh, you're clearly a millennial. Because <laughs> so, nobody wants to be a millennial, apparently, but I do. So, <laughs> Jason, what are some of the ways that generations are misunderstood, particularly Gen Z, but any of them? What are some ways that you look at that and people kind of get it wrong? Yeah, there's some big ones. I mean, that's how we ended up getting into this whole line of work. So I'll just walk through a few. Uh, baby boomers, for example, uh, young people today, particularly younger millennials and Gen Z, they'll say things like, oh, baby boomers aren't good with technology. I hear that all the time. And I'm like, seriously, they invented the phone you're using. (laughs) 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 They made it out of air. Like it didn't exist. And then, uh, (laughs) so let's not put down baby boomers. It turns out that they actually made the technology that you're using. That's all possible because of them. And we find that many boomers are actually very good with technology. So it's a, it's a sort of an interesting myth that, that oftentimes doesn't uh, track with what the data shows us. Sort of fast forwarding, millennials are an easy one. Uh, people always say that, oh, millennials aren't working, when in fact, millennials are the number one largest generation in the United States workforce. Or they say things like, oh, uh, you know, millennials, I don't know, don't have money to spend. And we actually outspent every other generation last year, which is pretty interesting if you're a brand. All the way down to Gen Z, uh, who we hear people say, oh, well, you know, Gen Z, they're, they're spending all this money. They're young. They don't really think about that. And as I talk about extensively in the book, Gen Z is very practical or conservative with their money. They're driving a double-digit growth at thrift stores. More than 12% were saving for retirement when they were 22 years old, which is really a wild well I found that fascinating. Oh, it's incredible. They expect discounts, Already. rebates. I mean, so many things. Yeah. On paper, what's so wild with Gen Z now, mind you, the oldest members of Gen Z are already 24. These aren't just 12-year-olds. I mean, you're talking about people that are, Gen Z is the fastest growing generation on a percentage basis in the workforce, the number one trend-setting group of consumers, probably another myth worth sharing, it's, it's our other thing that we're famous for, is discovering that technology trends are now rippling from the youngest up to the oldest, where historically the oldest and more affluent and drive trends down. That's completely reversed, which is a huge deal if you want to be able to ride technology trends to grow your organization or business. And so when we look at Gen Z's frugality, they're trying to avoid debt, which is a huge deal. So many of them are saying, I don't know if I want to go to college during COVID. I'm not going to get that experience. I don't know if I'm getting a return on their investment. I mean, what a different way to approach college, right? The millennials, we were told, get the best one you can and it'll be okay. you know. And then we crashed into the Great Recession and wage stagnation and rising unemployment and you know this, this huge emotional anchor. 
as we think about Gen Z, they're bringing so many different things. Their relationship with technology is fundamentally different. You know, people say, oh, Gen Z, they're not good communicators. Really? They actually send and receive more communication than any other generation we see. They just do it differently, right? They're not talking on their phone. They're texting or they're commenting or they're engaging. So they're very good communicators. They just communicate differently than other generations expect. And that's what a lot of generations is about, what we call it generational context, which is the idea that you can sort of step back and see your own generational lens and then really recognize it and sort of separate yourself from it and then look across all the generations. And that's what helps people to say, oh, okay, we can make this work. We can bridge these different generations. We can find ways to you know, leverage each other's strengths. And I think that's a core part of the book and another myth. There is no one generation that's more important than others. There's no one generation that's smarter than others. There's no one generation that you know, we, we need to you know, praise more than others. Like, that's not what it's about. It's recognizing that every single generation has something extremely valuable to offer. It's just whether or not we as leaders or as marketers or community members chooses to create a space for that and then be able to engage into that generational strength. And that's, you know, that's what I'm on a mission on. I got into this as a, I think you may know this, Skip. I was in a boardroom. My clients are primarily corporate boards and you know, private equity and all these execs. And I'm in this boardroom, big public company 13 years ago. And the CEO of this uh, company is just really talking negatively about millennials. Now, mind you, I'm a millennial and he had seen me on 60 Minutes, right? And so he brought me in. He's like, I saw you on 60 Minutes and your people are driving us crazy. Their pants are falling off. They, they won't work on their birthday, like, you know, this whole thing. And, and they're just terrible. And, and so I go in to speak being a millennial, of course, and, uh, and, and I'm sure with him what we're finding. And he says, uh, they're just terrible employees are not loyal. And so I, not knowing any better, this is 13 years ago, I said, well, can I see your data? You know, I'm just, I'm a data person at the end of the day. And I said, can I just see your data? I'd love to try to understand this. Now, mind you, he says this in a board meeting of a public company. So I get that uh, data from his uh, chief uh, HR person, the CHRO. And I look at the data and I'll never forget it. The data does not match what he had just told me. And so I go to Denise, my wife, and I said, Denise, this is the strangest thing. I just spoke uh, for the CEO of a big public company, hold them in high esteem. And uh, he said that millennials are terrible employees, but the data that he just gave me, that his people sent me from his own company, doesn't match what he just said. I said, what do you think we should do? And she says, we should start a research firm. (laughs) She said, because if senior leaders who are incredibly smart don't even understand the data. There's a huge opportunity for us to really step in and separate that myth from truth, help them to better understand and lead and make these decisions. It's also when we uncovered later on that many people think about generations through their own family or or sort of there's one person they know that becomes a proxy for the generation. So we all know that one entitled millennial and therefore all millennials are entitled, not realizing. Yeah, exactly. That that millennials, uh, the group most offended by millennials acting entitled are other millennials who do not feel entitled because we think the rest of the generation is making us look bad. (laughs) (laughs) Clues, not a box, as you said. Absolutely. And I know everything you said about, you know, there is not one generation that's better than the other, et cetera, though I'm anxious to uh, interview Denise because I'm sure she would be with me on the fact that Gen X is the best, but I'll leave that for another time. She will strongly Um, (laughs) support Gen X, tell you Gen X is not talked about enough, that they're the glue in the workforce, they're the bridge during COVID, because we just did several studies on this. Gen X is the group that's actually working overtime because they're taking care often of their kids, they're taking care often of their parents, and they're trying to maintain their career. And so they're really being pulled in three different directions, which is different than pretty much every other generation. And it's a really a fascinating time for them. By the way, they are the number one generation in the workforce that uh, senior leaders need to focus on. I get asked all the time, oh, Jason, should we focus on millennials or Gen Z? And I was like, well, 
Gen Z is going to change your whole business. So you need to understand them because otherwise you're going to be in big trouble. But when it comes to building that, that tenure and the leadership and really the stability that we need, Gen X is the most important. And they're deciding right now whether or not to stay with an employer or leave after COVID. So they're actually the one that we really want to focus on in terms of strategic retention. So there, there's my shout out wow, for Gen X. Really Did you like that? That was all Gen that's X all great. day. We're just going to start playing love MTV. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We grew up when MTV was actually MTV. All right. Talk to the leaders. Talk to the leaders of today's organizations about Gen Z. What do they need to know about recruiting Gen Z? Yeah. Oh, great question. So just at a high level, the key thing, as we talked about, is Gen Z is already 24 years old. They're turning 25 this year. So that's basically, uh, if you want to think about it from a workforce standpoint, that's roughly ages 16 to 24. Again, fastest growing on a percentage basis. When we think about recruiting, there's several problems we want to solve for, because that's sort of our angle is let's solve for the problems and then everything else will work itself out. When we think about Gen Z, there's a few things you need to know to recruit them. Uh, number one is where they go for information. Number two is what do they value? And then number three is how do they value that? So when we look, number one, at where they go for information, social media and digital media is where they make their decisions about employers. And I say that as strongly as I can, because what we found, for example, is that Gen Z oftentimes won't apply for a job unless they can apply through their mobile device. And you hear employers say all the time, and I mean, look, I serve on a lot of company boards. I used to be on the board of a big HR software company. And, and so people say, oh, well, we do mobile application. And I always say, really? Have you tried it? And then they try it and go, this is terrible because it's extremely hard at most companies. So Gen Z needs to be able to apply for that job application through their mobile device. And this is the secret. They need to be able to save as they go. I talk about this a lot in the Z economy book, because if they can't save as they go, they often don't have all the information they need. They've got a lot of things going on in their life. So you want them to set up an account. Once they do that, if they don't finish the application, you text or email them whatever option they gave you. And you say, hey, Skip, we saw that you started an application to work for us. We'd love to see if we're a fit. We think you might be. Click here to complete your application. And you'll drive completions through the roof. It's incredible. So it needs to be mobile driven. They need to apply by mobile. And you've got to be able to message through social media in particular, not just your ratings and reviews. Say, oh, Glassdoor, LinkedIn, all that. That's still more millennial. Social media is much more on the Gen Z side. So we want that to happen. And you, you should have Gen Z influencers or ambassadors representing your company, your culture, and so forth. In terms of what they value, this is super interesting. We find that for them, in terms of their priorities, purpose, uh, for the last four years, we've been doing our state of Gen Z study. And uh, in our world, it's pretty famous uh, because it's the longest longitudinal study we know of that specifically looks at Gen Z, I'm about to release our new one. And what we find is that Gen Z for the last several years was very much focused on climate change or what they would call the climate crisis as their top priority and looking for an employer in terms of its purpose. What we're finding right now is that social justice has leapfrogged that dramatically in the last few months. So when they look at employers are going, well, what is the employer trying to do besides just make money? What are, what are the things that they're supporting and are they actively supporting it? Or as I often joke, these big companies that we work with, they're like, oh, Jason, no, we, we support a big charity that Gen Z will love. And I'm like, well, how did you let them know? Oh, you know, we went out on the football field and we're holding this big check and, you know, it says $50,000. It's like, great. So you're holding a monetary instrument that they've never used, <laughs> nice. that, that they've never received. And you wrote in cursive, outstanding. So that's not what they want, right? They want to see that that videos and photos and people on the ground really making differences. So that purpose piece and sort of putting that forward on the recruiting side, very, very important. And then when we look at how they get information on recruiting, it needs to be video driven. Gen Z is going to be pulled in by a video well before text, even images and bullet points. So we want to put that play button all over the place, make it super easy for them to do that. And then they want to see people like themselves. 
Gen Z is the most diverse generation in U.S. history, also many other parts of the world where we work. So they want to see that diversity really embraced and celebrated at all levels of the organization. And then getting a little bit into the weeds, because you know me, I love that. There's two other areas we think are going to be really interesting around recruiting. One is onboarding. And right now there's a company that's in the book called Onboarder. And what they do is they do all of your onboarding by text message. And it is a huge success. People love it. And everybody's like, how do you do that? But that's what they do. And so you get your videos and your forms and everything you need by text message. They ask you what's your favorite snack, you know, at three o'clock in the afternoon when your energy's low, like all this stuff. And then going further, there's another company we put in the book. And this is a company called Instant Financial. And they do something called earned wage access which means they enable employees such as Gen Z to get paid half of their wages at the end of every day at no cost. This is a huge deal because now you're going to have an entire generation, Gen Z, an entire generation that will never remember a time before they could get paid every single day. And we're already seeing that move into professional services and all the professional careers as they move up because they just expect it. And this to me is sort of the key thing. Executives always say, oh, Gen Z just represents so much change. You know, when you talk, they just represent so much change. I'm like, they don't represent change. In their eyes, this is all they've ever known. <laughs> so to them, it's just normal. To you, it's changed. To them, it's completely normal. And this is sort of the key piece and theme in the book is that technology, it's one of my favorite quotes, technology is only new if you remember it the way it was before. And Gen Z does not remember a time before smartphones and social media. So for them, their most trusted news outlet is social media. They use their phone for everything, for banking and dating and finding a roommate and learning. All of those things are all happening. So when we look at recruiting, recruiting is that first piece. It's obviously like marketing for an employer. And we want to make sure that we align with Gen Z, how they look, where they look, and what's important to them. The other uh, thing that's important to Gen Z to point out right now is scheduling flexibility. That's a real hot button for them, particularly as they go through this very turbulent time at 18 to 25 during COVID. So it's a really neat time to look at Gen Z. One last one that's probably unexpected, and we've seen this in several studies now that we've led, one of the key things that Gen Z looks for is benefits and stability. And I want to point those out because those are two things people generally don't emphasize because Gen Z is so young, but yet benefits is a huge deal. Because remember, this generation is very practical with their money. They want to know, do you have retirement matching, which is very strange from a 22-year-old. At the same time, they want to know you're stable and going to be around a long time. So we saw a big shift where we saw from millennials saying, I want to work for fast growing companies and get stock options. Gen Z is doing the opposite saying, well, how stable are you and what kind of benefits am I going to get? Just a real big pendulum swaying back the other way, which is why we call Gen Z a throwback generation, because in many ways they look like baby boomers on paper. And in fact, our probably our most controversial um, thing in the book is we talk that Gen Z may leapfrog many millennials in the workforce because of how they approach saving, risk work ethic, stability, and so forth, they're actually really well positioned long-term to do well in the workforce. So it's a, it's a very exciting time and why we're so excited about the book. I think that everyone in the audience is hearing why Jason Dorsey is one of my favorite people and he's so full of information and the book is so incredibly full of information. It is a must. It's too much to take in in one reading. I can tell you that. As you can hear, there is so much information. Jason, you talked about onboarding and leaders bringing on Gen Z. What about the managers who are in different generations? How do they relate differently or what should they be doing or thinking about differently with this generation? Such a good question. Uh, and we've done several studies on this recently, particularly in the COVID world, not to timestamp this interview, but I think it's extremely urgent that we get this message out. 
when we look at many managers today are not only leading multiple generations, two, three, four generations, sometimes even five, uh, which by the way, nobody prepares you to do. It doesn't matter where you went to business school. They don't, they don't teach you how to do this. So this is new for everybody, managing people older and younger and multiple generations. It's new. But when we look at that, we then go, well, what else is different now? And what else is different is many of these people are having to manage remotely. So now you've said we're going to add generational differences, generational priorities, and life stage differences, and we're not even going to be in the physical, same physical space often. So what we found that's very different is, um, number one, when we looked at Gen Z, again, ages, this is ages 16 to 24, they need more frequent information or communication from their direct manager or supervisor. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean they want to have a 30-minute Zoom meeting with you or try to set up some happy hour or any of that stuff. That's not it at all. What we found is they needed a quick message, just something that lets them know that you as a manager know that they still exist because that frequency of communication lets them feel like they're still connected and they're still valued. And how frequent? Well, we, we studied that too. And generally, it was one or two outreaches in a week, meaning you're just sending and say, hey, Skip, saw you did a great job today or Hey, Skip, I heard things went really well on that project. Or, hey, Skip, just reaching out if you have any questions, anything I can help with. Whatever that is, short burst. It's actually less overall communication the managers are used to getting or giving, but it's more frequency. And that's sort of the key. Think about Gen Z as sort of the text message or messaging uh, generation. So more frequent information. Second thing that we found in our new study is that Gen Z really wants information right now from their managers. Because remember, they have the least work experience to be in this environment. So people go, gosh, that's a pretty basic question. Well, they've entered the workforce later than any generation in the last 50 years, probably 100 years if we had the data going back. That's a really big deal. So that 22-year-old or 24-year-old has less experience in the job than other generations did at that same age. So of course, they don't know what questions to ask or what resources are available. So they expect more help and information from their manager. That's very important. It's not that they uh, you know, are dumb because that's not it at all. We find it to be quite the opposite. They just haven't been in this experience before. They don't know where to go for the information. You're their manager. They expect you to provide that, that information. And then the next thing we see is they really want deep candor. And by the way, we saw this across all four generations. And I think this is so important for your listeners and what you do, Skip. What we found is that people thought when we asked managers, what do you think that employees want from you? And they're like, oh, they want strength and resilience. You know, we need to, to motivate them and tell them we're going to get through this and everything is going to be okay. Well, of all the things that we tested in the study, Strength and resilience actually scored the lowest across every generation. <laughs> the number one thing that they all wanted was candor and honesty, like just tell it to me straight. And the second was transparency. And so when you think about that, it really shares what do managers need to provide right now in this very unprecedented time when we are distance. The other part that we saw that Gen Z wanted was empathy in terms of they've not been through this experience before. They're looking for some empathy from their manager. Now, before we say, oh, you know, this is such a millennial thing too, that's not true. Millennials scored the lowest in wanting empathy of any generation. The two highest, Gen Z and baby boomers. Again, we see this sort of generational pendulum. So those are some of the key things. To get a little more into the weeds, it's very important with Gen Z, particularly if you're doing remote work, that you remind people of your North Star. That's important because in distance work, when you're all separated from each other, it's easy to forget what you're all working towards. So reminding people of that is really key. Having some sort of um, ritual every day, whether that's a huddle or some other thing that keeps people aligned for one or two minutes, we find extremely valuable uh, with Gen Z. I think that one's uh, very important as well. And then probably the last one, uh, and this one's you know quite personal, but we might as well go there. One of our big findings is that right now, how you let go of your employees determines the attitude of those who stay. So what do I mean by that? In our latest study, we found that Gen Z was a generation most likely to be laid off, furloughed, 
lose their job, wage reduction, or a change in work responsibility. So all the different ways to basically say more than any other generation, Gen Z has borne the brunt of this economically in the workforce. They're last hired, first fired, least experienced, we can go on and on. So as you sort of think about this generation, they're at a very sort of critical time in their life, and they need their managers to really be that resource for them, particularly their direct manager or supervisor. And I say this because companies today talk so much about culture, and culture comes from the top. Yes, that's true. And yes, your CEO recorded a great video and put it on Twitter about the purpose of your company and why it's so important in this time more than ever. But I promise you, here's what happens. The CEO puts that out, all the employees see it. And then those frontline employees who are often Gen Z, they go straight to the manager and go, is this true? Do you believe that? Is this for real? And that's why that line level manager is so incredibly important right now with Gen Z. They represent the culture. They represent how the company is going to treat them more than anyone else. And yes, I got pretty fired up over that, Skip. (laughs) It just blows my mind. And it's so very true. And even how you treat people when they leave for whatever reason Mm -hmm. impacts your your brand internally and externally. And it is just so critical. I think everything you just said, I'm going to rattle. Well, I'm going to put actually in, in a document that I have because you list things to do. And then the opposite of those things are not to do. So if you're not communicating frequently enough or showing empathy or doing these things with transparency, these are the the pitfalls. So I, I love that. So I just want to touch externally because you you do a lot of this in the book and we don't have time to go into it in great detail, but just a nod to the earning trust, the getting the brand loyalty from this new generation who, by the way, you've now given me much more insight reading this book into my own daughter, who I think has every penny she's ever earned. So um, (laughs) how do you, how do you earn trust and brand loyalty with this new generation? Sure. There's two things that we see sort of stand out. uh, If you think of uh, earning trust and brand loyalty. So we'll sort of separate those two. Earning trust really we find comes down to delivering on whatever your promise and your purpose you say is. This is actually quite risky for brands right now. Because they'll say things like, we're all about social justice. And then you find out they didn't actually do anything. And it really has huge blowback with Gen Z because they're watching very, very closely. So the key there on the trust is, are you being clear about what your promise is and are you delivering on it? One of the ways that we teach brands to do this is to find a very low risk way to have what we call initial trial. And so whatever that is, if you're selling something online, make it free or easy to return. And why is that important? If you remove the risk, you can drive that initial trial. Gen Z expects people to return anything at no cost, by the way. So that's important because if you already know that's their expectation, you might as well play to the game. And so you make it super easy for them to buy from you, to communicate with you, such as on chat, instead of having to wait on a phone call or something or wait, send you an email, which is another thing they don't like to do. So if you sort of look through that and go, okay, how do they want to communicate? Are we delivering on those ways? And then whatever it is we said we do, are we then telling them we did it? And I think that's important. Don't just say what you're going to do, actually show what you did. And what's interesting about this generation is they're okay when you mess up as long as you own it. And we see that in lots of different ways. I mean, even the brands that they celebrate, like one of them in the book is uh, called Aerie. And Aerie celebrates Gen Zers and all generations without Photoshopping their models or making their models look fake. Their whole idea is we want it to be true and authentic uh, like you are. And so it's important when we think about that trust that you really put out there what you stand for, that you deliver on it, and you show them and you engage in that conversation and don't take it personally. Gen Z is very conversational when it comes to trust. They want to be able to engage with you, which by the way, they're the number one generation to refer their friends to a brand product or service because remember, their friends are going through the same process and they're often making big purchases in particular later. And so I think it's key to say, okay, 
we know that trust is something that can be earned with Gen Z. These are the things that are important to them, and we're going we're gonna to deliver those, which, by the way, every other generation wants to, which sort of goes back to the idea of if you do what works with the youngest, it now ripples up to the oldest, something that you know, we talk about a lot in the book. The second is on that loyalty. So loyalty is, is defined a whole lot of different ways. There are people that are loyal to a brand, product, or service, but they don't buy it very often. And that's just by choice, right? So people frequently uh, confuse loyalty with frequency. And so we always want to sort of break that out and really think about it in the sense of, well, what does loyalty actually mean? Maybe with Gen Z, loyalty means they write great ratings and reviews and post great comments on social media, even though they've only bought the brand, product, or service one time. Like, that's it. And so I think we want to look at loyalty as Gen Z's coming of age. They're starting to really spend money. They're driving new trends. But let's look at loyalty as something that's them engaging with the brand repeatedly over a long period of time, not just frequency of purchases and average order value and all these other things, which, by the way, we study all of those. I'm just saying because Gen Z is more frugal with their money, you're going to have a really great lifetime value, huge opportunity referrals, all the brand ambassador stuff that you want. But don't just look at them and go, well, how often do they buy this month, this quarter or this year? We've got to think loyalty is long term with Gen Z because they're being very thoughtful about how they spend their money. But that's really important because what we found is Gen Z is extremely loyal to brands, products or services. But we need to look through it, not just through the, the metric of uh, how much spend do we get from them, but what are all the other actions and activities that they're doing? So I think we have to broaden out loyalty more so than just money. And that's obviously me on my soapbox there, because Gen Z influences so many other generations as well with what they do. So we know loyalty happens. We know it's something that they believe in and they want to you know, collaborate with brands. They want to feel like they're a part of that brand. And that's so incredibly exciting if you get it right. But it's also, just to point out, it's also why when brands don't deliver on this or brands say one thing and do something else, why there is so much massive social media firestorm that happens because Gen Z has believed you and then now you've not delivered and they're not afraid to let you know. Wow. Again, <laughs> that is amazing. So I think everyone will now definitely understand why you have to listen to this podcast at least twice and you're going to have to read the book at least twice to get even a fraction of all this information that is jam-packed in this new book, which is extraordinary, the economy. It is the best way to understand the new generation, really insight into all generations, but this generation, what we need to do, how we need to think differently, how they will challenge all of us and how they will challenge leaders and how to motivate them to be the future leaders that we know that they are. It is an extraordinary overview of this generation with so many insights and actionable takeaway. So I encourage everyone to get it and read it. It is the go-to generation book that I've seen. So please, please, please take a look at it. And also last question, Jason, where can people go to learn more about you and your work? Yeah, thank you. Uh, the best place to go to learn about me and my work, such as speaking and strategy and all our board work that I do is my website, jasondorsey.com. And then uh, if you want to learn about our research, please go to our research firm's website. We have tons of research there available for free. So go to my website for videos. But the research is at genhq, G-E-N-H-Q.com. You can also reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever your favorite social media is. We, we pretty much work with all of them because we love it. <laughs> it's so much fun. We have multiple generations that are on our team. So we live this every day. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks so much, Jason. And I appreciate you sharing those insights so that all of us can aim higher. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on the show. It's been amazing. 
Thanks for listening to Aim Higher with Skip Pritchard. Check out skippritchard.com for more episodes, interviews, book reviews, and leadership insights. And if you like what you hear, please rate us in iTunes. Until next time, remember, don't settle for the mediocre. Always aim higher. Thank you.